The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Retro Pump. I am one of your hosts. I am the esteemed, and I, I guess it's true if I'm saying it about myself, Johnny Townsend. I am joined by my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Johnson. What's going on? You're pretty esteemed, I'd say. Uh, I have to agree agree with you in that statement. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I secretly don't know exactly what that word means. I don't even know how to, sp- I just know, I don't even know how to spell it, to I, be honest with you. <laughs> I just know it's a positive thing, so I said it. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it, it's. you should be proud of yourself. Um, but yeah, we are back. I'm excited. This, you know, I, these bi-weekly episodes, I'm loving, I'm loving the flow of it and it gives us so much time to prepare and, and really give you the listeners our, you know, the best that we possibly can give you. Uh, and I'm really excited for this one. This was Johnny's choice this week and man, I am ecstatic to talk about this. Uh, I learned so much as you know, we like to do on this show and I hope a lot of you listeners, uh, get to learn as well. That is for sure. Uh, we, I, I like to say, I mean, we're two episodes in, not counting this one, and uh, we do some pretty fun deep dives into this stuff so far. I, I would say, and I don't think this is any different. Uh, we really dove into this one. I was already kind of aware of a lot of this stuff, uh, but we're talking about Calvin and Hobbes today, uh, the very famous uh, comic strip that lasted for quite a while. But a lot of people think, me included, that it ended really way too soon. Uh, but there's a reason for, we'll dive all into all that, though. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, uh, let's get into our personal history. All right, Matt, what about you when it comes to either Calvin or Hobbes or, you know, the comic strips in the paper in general? What's your history with those? Man, I spent a lot of time in my uh, in my childhood just kind of sitting down and reading re- reading the comic strips. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I pooped a lot as a child. And those <laughs> – and... <laughs> We're gonna have similar stories, <laughs> <laughs> and and um, you know those books were always there for me uh, to help me go go. <laughs> I don't even know how to come back from that. Like that just that's end of the episode right there. Um, yeah, no, it's it. I, I read them quite a bit. You know, it, it's like uh, Ziggy and Zitz and um. You know, Peanuts and all those. I used to like the little Spider-Man ones. But Calvin and Hobbes was a fun, just a fun little one. Um, and I, I think that's what I liked so much about it. If if they actually produce, like, weekly or, like, monthly comics, like a lot of the, you know, a lot of other things did, I think it would have did very well for itself, too. But it just fit this this niche in, the, in, in regular newspapers that was, uh, I don't know, it just belonged, man. I, I, I feel like it just worked. It, it it did so much in in like four to five panels a week, uh, at, at the absolute most, and and yeah, I I, just, I remember enjoying it quite a bit. My dad always pushed reading on it, on me. He made sure I always got the Sunday comics every time that he picked up the paper. And I just remember a lot of you know 
a lot of mornings just just sitting down and enjoying it. Yeah, the, for me, the the funnies or whatever you want to call them uh, were pretty huge for me. Uh, you know, always when I was a kid, I would love reading them, and that's kind of what got me into even drawing and sketching was these comics. I loved them so much from Far Side to Garfield to, of course, Calvin and Hobbes, which would become my ultimate favorite, but I love all three of those. That's why I mentioned them. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes, to me, really stood out because not only was it funny and goofy, but it also had uh, story arcs in it. It also had some deep stuff at times. Uh, I mean, a lot of the times when I was reading it, it would go kind of over my head, which is pretty funny since Watterson, and we'll get into him uh, very soon, uh, said he loved Peanuts as a child, even though some of those would go over his head. And that's kind of how I felt with Calvin and Hobbes at times, uh, to the point where I love it so much and still do to this day that I have the complete collection of it. And it's like these two huge, super-duper heavy hardback books just full of all the cartoons from that. And uh, I go back and reread it all the time. I'm very uh, proud of that. That's probably one of my prized possessions, honestly, just because I'm so, you know, I just love it so much. And uh, for those who don't know, I actually am an artist. And I do want to say that the art style definitely influenced me quite a lot. So uh, I really love Calvin and Hobbes. It's, it's got a special place in my soul. You know, now that you mentioned that, I you know, as a purchaser of your art, uh, at one point or another, uh, I could definitely see a bit of a correlation between your work and Calvin and Hobbes, um, that art style. I, I can see a little bit of a correlation, uh, so I'm glad you brought that, that aspect up. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those, I mean, right down to Peanuts also kind of influenced me a little bit, so all those kind of morphed into, uh, you know, really, I love, I love cartoony stuff, and uh, Bill Watterson's Calvin and Hobbes, when it came to art and such, was on another level, in my opinion. It's just, uh, like, if you compare it to other comics, and this is not putting those other ones down, because I love them too, his is on another level. So, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm very happy to dive into this. Are we about ready for the next part here, Matt? Are you ready yeah, to Yeah, I think so. Let's get to it. So let's get into the history of Calvin and Hobbes. Okay, to dive into Calvin and Hobbes' world, we have to dive into its creator, Mr. Bill Watterson. And this guy is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a bit of a wild case. Uh, you know, but I, I actually, I respect it. Uh, you know, his style, I, we'll obviously get into details in a second. But, um, you know, I kind of commend him for everything that he did. He was kind of just staying out of the limelight, I guess. Yeah, he's. Uh, we'll get into it really soon why he was like this, but uh, the money definitely was not ever important to him, and that's for sure. No, <laughs> no. Uh, so, uh, Bill Watterson was born on July 5th in 1958 in Washington, D.C., and that's when he was young. But when he was young, they, uh, he and his family moved to Ohio. He was like around six years old around that time. Uh, his parents were... Uh, at one time, I think his dad was like a patent lawyer at one point, uh, but when they both went to Ohio, uh, both his both his parents would actually even, at one point, serve on the, that town's city council that they lived in. Uh, so, 
like politics was pretty important to him or it was kind of installed on him when he was when he was young and that's kind of important with his childhood uh as he was a child he actually claimed that he never had imaginary animals or friends which is pretty wild considering what he would end up creating uh and he actually said he was the complete opposite of calvin because he was sort of a a goody two-shoes he was mostly a well-behaved kid according to him uh but one thing wasn't certain he loved uh some of the comic strips like peanuts was one of his influences and he loved drawing since he was a young kid uh, so let's go to college, man. Are you ready to go to college again? Oh, boy. I tried it twice. Third time's a charm, I guess. <laughs> you know what I did, too, come to think of it? And uh, never once did I finish nope, it. Nope. Still paying back those loans with nothing to show for it. <laughs> Yay, college. <laughs> yeah. 1976, we're going to Kenyon College of Ohio. And while he was going to college there, he actually joined the college paper. And he would draw political cartoons. You can find some of these. Uh, as he was a sophomore, <laughs> I thought this was really funny. As he was a sophomore, he actually recreated Michelangelo's creation of Adam, a very famous painting, on his dorm room ceiling. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I saw that in a couple places, so I want that to be so true. Uh, could you imagine if you were like the... <laughs> the person after him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope he didn't get into trouble for that. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure some words were said. Oh, there. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, and he actually uh, got a bit of a name for himself drawing these cartoons because he graduates in 1980, and almost immediately he's offered a job as the editorial cartoonist at the Cincinnati Post, which is a paper, obviously in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we're going to move to the 80s. Uh, the 80s, Matt. I know you're younger than me. I was born in '83, so. The late 80s to early 90s is kind of my jam. That's my childhood right there. Yeah, I kind of wish that I was a part of that era. I really do. I can't tell you how mad like I get. Not like mad, but like, man, I missed out on 80s culture like so, so much. So, yeah, I I can, I sympathize. I, uh, I, I'm jealous, actually. I think it's the best phrase to use. <laughs> well, don't be because we're getting older quicker than you yeah, are. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a good and bad to everything. I just feel, I feel kind of sad for the generation that's growing up now because, you know, this is kind of related to this in a way. Saturday, I mean, we're recording on a Saturday. Uh, when I was younger right now, I'd be watching cartoons. And that doesn't happen anymore, really. No, kids have no idea what they're missing out on. That was like the pinnacle. I used to hate, like my dad used to do like baseball and stuff. And I used to be pissed when I had to give up Saturday morning <laughs> cartoons. Like absolutely furious. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, these, these kids, it, the cartoons nowadays are just not good at all. Um, and yeah, kids are completely missing out on, on what was. Well, I think the cartoons now, not that we had some, I mean, we had some pretty great ones in my, my opinion in my day, but, uh, I'm sure they're good ones now, but to me, a lot of the ones now just seem like they're really, uh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am type of things. <laughs> uh. And I think it's because attention spans have gotten shorter and shorter. Uh, but anyway, uh, so at the Cincinnati Post, he's there for less than a year. He's not, he doesn't even make it a year to when he's actually let go. They let him go because his work, and this blew me away, his work, and this is in quotation marks, unimpressed them. 
What do you need, Cincinnati Post? <laughs> that's like the that's like the Red Sox trading away Babe Ruth. I think that's yes. I, I think yeah. that's the best comparison I can give uh, for that. That's wow. or you know, or Michael Jordan famously not making his high school uh, varsity team or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's very wild. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, but this was actually kind of important to him because this sort of led him to abandon the whole political cartoon aspect of it and just want to go to his main love, which was just the comic strips. So this was actually important. I mean, nobody wants to lose a job, obviously, but I think this was important that this happened. Uh, so he decides he's going to try his hand at making a comic strip. He did not, however, make Calvin and Hobbes right away. That's not how this story happens. He would send samples of different cartoons he would think of. Uh, they they ran a gamut from a cartoon about a bunch of bugs uh, to uh, Spaceman Spiff at one time, which if you're a Calvin and Hobbes reader, you know what that is. It was actually one of the ones he started with as well. But these, he didn't really hear back about these. Uh, and co- I don't know if it's like this now today, but I know back when comic strips were huge, uh, you uh, had to go through syndicates. There's different syndicates, sort of like, I guess, agencies for comic strips and they're the ones that would get you in the papers and get you uh you know get the ball rolling for you so they had to accept you and you would send your samples to them uh so that's what he was doing and he was getting denied left and right for these so while this is happening you know you need a job i mean he's young he's got to have some money to you know just to feed himself so he takes a job designing ads for car dealerships and other you know shops of that nature and this is key because he hated that job. <laughs> he hated it with a passion. However, uh, as is the case with a lot of stuff, I know this has happened with me, Matt. When you're doing a job that you hate, you can kind of learn stuff from that. Yeah, I, I can definitely attest to that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have I work a job currently that I'm not very fond of, pays the bills, but, man, I'll – when I'm there, all I can think of is doing everything but that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had the same thing. I worked at a used car dealership, and I saw so many things uh, that really uh, just broke my soul. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I learned a lot from that job, however. And he did the same at this job. Uh, what he learned was that the substance of his work was way more important to him than the actual money. So in other words, he was making money at this job, but like he felt like he had like it wasn't him. It wasn't his, you know. To me, and I think a lot of artists would agree with this, or and I'm not talking just in drawing art, any sort of artist. Uh, your art is kind of a part of you. It's it's sort of a part of your soul is kind of in it in a way, like a part of who you are is in this art. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's kind of hard to have that if you're working for giant corporations who just want to sell, you know the latest uh, Nissan or whatever. So uh, I have a quote from him, and this is what he says. To endure five years of rejection to get a job requires either a faith in oneself that borders on delusion or a love of that work. Uh, And I love the work. So in other words, what he's saying is uh, to, uh, and I think a lot of people who are really successful go through a lot of rejection. I mean, there's a lot of famous stories of this and he's also one of those uh, if you love what you're doing and you really want to make it work you know, you'll kind of stick at it and it's kind of with us with podcasting in a way Matt yeah 100% man I've been through some struggles uh, you know along the way and I'm sure you have too 
Um, I've been a fr- part of few of your struggles actually with your laptop, most famously. But uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know that, that does that goes with everything in life, man. It, it and I, I think it really it shows character, I guess, when you can overcome those things and still become successful. Yeah, so I think it's really important that if it's something you really want to do and you actually love it, you kind of just keep at it. And uh, that's good for me with my art and with uh, podcasting. So, but here's the question. Would Watterson ever hit pay dirt? Uh, let's stay tuned to find out right after this commercial. If I actually met someone who had never read Calvin and Hobbes, I would immediately just go to my desk, pull a book off, and say, here, take this. This will change your life. I've never met anyone who doesn't like Calvin Hobbes. I can't say that about any other strip. My initial impression when I saw him was the guy's making it harder for the rest of us. There was a strip that was much better drawn than anything in the papers, that had a really fresh perspective. It just took off. Everyone, you know, is united by their love for the strip, but everyone has a specific thing that they love about it. You know, Calvin's world is just huge. It doesn't stop. Bill's take was so fresh and so simple. Here he just took this idea and just blew it up into this wonderful relationship. His approach at philosophy, it was always bigger than just the little comic strip. As a professional cartoonist, I read it now, and you just see a master at his craft. I was very excited by it. Yeah, this, this is the um, first original I've ever seen. high art, like a painting, and then you have low art, which is the comic strip, and it's commercial and it's hack work. Why is that? Has there ever been a character who was more built for licensing than Hoff? I was making these, and he was not. He was essentially throwing down the gauntlet and said, look, we've, we've lost something from the early part of the 20th century. There we go. People preserve the memory of Calvin and Hobbes as something very precious and personal. I've heard questions like, why are people so reading that? Why are the books so, so, so popular? You know, he hasn't been in newspapers in 15 years. As it's transcendent. That's the beauty of it. Have you written a letter to Watterson? I have a file, a Word file, on my computer. <laughs> and it's one line so far. All it says is, Dear Mr. Watterson. <laughs> very fitting. Nothing else. Not another word. And we're back. Matt, the year is now 1985. Watterson creates a comic strip that he calls The Doghouse. And this featured some characters, and he sends this off to those syndicates I was talking about. It was denied. However, uh, one of the side characters in this strip kind of piques one of their interests, and they suggest to him, hey, maybe you should kind of focus on this character instead. And that character was the main character's little brother, who happened to also carry around a stuffed tiger. And he was encouraged to really use that character and kind of develop something with him. And that's kind of where, in a way, Calvin and Hobbes was born. Uh, Watterson was only 27, thinking about this, how young he was. was only 27 when he when his strip would become a smash hit. It actually, as soon as he sent this in, it was pretty much approved. They loved it. Uh, they started getting in the newspapers, and we'll get in that when we get to the stats corner. 
I'm sure. But this thing became a pretty big uh, hit for him. It got into all kinds of newspapers all across the country. Uh, but what is Calvin and Hobbes, if you're not familiar with it? We're going to do a really quick dive into all these characters. Uh, Matt, I'm not sure how familiar you are with just Calvin and Hobbes in general. I have obviously loved it forever, so I'm like a hardcore nerd about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I have a general understanding of it, you know, of, of course. Like I said, I, I grew up reading the comic book strips, or, the, well, excuse me, just the comic strips, um, you know, throughout my childhood. But I don't have, like, a deep understanding of it like I do you know some other forms of entertainment probably not as much as I like but uh what I did find out was that uh yeah they quite the cast of characters and they did a good job of of maintaining those characters too throughout the entire tenure for sure so let's get into it of course Calvin is the main character he's a six-year-old and he has an, an incredible uh view of his reality I guess is the best way to put it and he's often a bit of a troublemaker He's sort of like, to me, he's kind of what, uh, sort of a, a, a lesser evil Bart Simpson. <laughs> yes, yes. Sort of a Dennis, he's got sort of a Dennis the Menace vibe to him a little yes. bit. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, we have Hobbes, and that's his stuffed tiger that, uh, for, a lot of people think it was, uh, you know, this is a weird thing about this, this strip. Was Hobbes imaginary, or uh, was he real? That's a big question that goes on into the in the Calvin and Hobbes community, and Bill Watterson himself actually said that uh, it's more that it's a view of one's reality. So, in other words, to Calvin, Hobbes was real. That was his reality. Hobbes was a real, uh, breathing, living thing, and it was his best friend, so he was real. But to like, let's say his parents, it was a stuffed tiger because that was their reality. Uh, Calvin's. Uh, parents is, are also pretty main characters you see them often in the strips i don't think they ever actually had names though they never actually gave the real names they were also just called mom and dad i believe i think you're right yep uh he had a teacher named miss wormwood um this teacher often had to put up with uh, calvin's shenanigans <laughs> this poor old lady um she would come off kind of strict at times i know when i was younger and i would read this i was like man what a mean teacher but now, as I've gotten older, I kind of understood why she was like that. <laughs> um, but this is what was really fun for me. Uh, her name, Wormwood, actually comes from a book that I absolutely love uh, called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. That's an incredible book. Uh, one of the characters in there is named Wormwood. Uh, and, it's, and it's all about a... This is how deep this guy's <laughs> creations go. Uh, that, that book, the gist of that book is it's a demon... That's trying to uh, coax a person into hell, pretty much. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's where he got the name for this comic strip character for the kids. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there was also Susie Durkins. Uh, she was a main character that showed up quite a bit. She was Calvin's classmate. Uh, they often would pick on each other. She kind of lived in the same neighborhood too. Uh, she was in. They often would make fun of each other and pick on each other. You know, they they kind of seemed like maybe they might have had a bit of a crush. You know, how when you were younger, you'd have a crush on a girl. Instead of just saying, "Hey, I like you," you would like just make fun of her instead. Y- yes. Yep. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that it's still to this day, and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there was also uh, Rosalind, who was actually her uh, his babysitter. 
Uh, she was in quite a few of them, and she too would have to put up with Calvin, try to get him to go to bed, which was almost impossible, it seemed. Uh, and Mo, which was kind of the bully in Calvin's school. And that was just kind of the main characters you would see. And also, I want to throw in Spaceman Spiff. And that was uh, Calvin's imaginary character. And as I said before, that was what this strip was originally, was Spaceman Spiff. So he kind of keeps that. And that's where Calvin would would be like a a space explorer in a way. And he'd have like this really cool UFO ship he would drive. (laughs) And he'd go exploring other uh, planets and stuff, you know, in his reality. Those are some of my favorite strips. They're really amazing, and I, if you haven't seen those, please go check those out. A lot of dinosaurs in them, too, and I love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so this uh, this comic strip actually becomes pretty fairly well-known for its, not only its stunning art, but how well it's written. Really smart writing. It did not talk down to kids. Uh, and it would actually often criticize social constructs that we have. Um, it also would push forth the importance of friendship because Calvin and Hobbes were uh, unseparable. You know, they always had each other's back. Uh, so friendship is important, even if it's with the stuffed tiger, man. <laughs> so don't you forget that. Never forget it. Never forget it. <laughs> and also in the, I thought this one was very important. And if you have not read this one, go out of your way to find it. I think you can find this whole series of this whole story online. It's called the raccoon story. And I remember when I first read this, and I, I couldn't believe I was reading this deep personal thing in a in a comic strip because this thing is just like it's heartbreaking. It, it felt like a Pixar movie before Pixar, in a way. Uh, so Calvin and Hobbes are out in the woods and then they're playing around and they find a baby raccoon and this baby raccoon's in bad shape. It's not doing well. Uh, so he runs to his parents and they try to nurse this baby raccoon back to health and save its life. And you'll get through all these different strips, and, and it's all Calvin can think about. It's this baby raccoon. He becomes attached to this thing, and he wants it to live and do and do well and do good. Uh, but sadly, they're not able to save it. This baby raccoon dies. Aw. Yeah, so it's really sad. And, but there's one, This is just to point out how deep and how amazing this writing is for something that children would read. This is a quote from Calvin. There's a, one panel where... He's talking to his dad, and his dad just let him know that the raccoons passed away. And Calvin starts crying, of course. I mean, he's six years old. I mean, I'm, I would have cried, too, to be honest, and I'm 36. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, his dad is like, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, son, I'm sorry. And that's the other thing I want to point out real quick, too. His parents were actually really good parents. Um, but Calvin responds to him and goes, I'm crying because out there he's gone. But he's not gone inside me. Oh, that is not incredible, right? I mean, that's the most incredible thing. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's that's that's, that's a good thing about it too. Because I mean, it's, there's a lot of humorous moments too, but there was like deep, like heartstrings, you know, getting moments too in those in those strips, um, which yeah. I think is is really important. To, it might shock people at first, like reading them, like, "Whoa, that's not funny," but. Uh, it gives us it gives a certain depth to a character, I think, when it comes to writing, and and that would, that's a great. I mean, that's a great testament to that. One hundred percent. So, Calvin and Hobbes gets super popular, uh, and let's get into why you don't really see any merchandise with Calvin and Hobbes, though, despite how huge it got. Because you know, for Peanuts and for Garfield and for some of the other strips, you can find their merchandise 
everywhere. It's easy to find. And there were TV shows even of these. But there's nothing of the sort with Calvin and Hobbes. And here's why. Watterson would famously refuse almost any merchandising. Uh, so, you know, I think everybody has seen these on the, these car decals of Calvin peeing on different things. <laughs> My favorite. Uh, guess what? Yeah, guess what? Watterson had nothing to do with those and hated them. <laughs> so, um, so any Calvin and Hobbes merch you see, uh, that's not like a, you know a book of his strips in it, uh, is un- is unauthorized. It's not from him. He did not authorize it. Uh, so that to me was mind blowing when I first heard that and I found that out. Because I'll be honest with you, Matt. At one point, I did want to be a comic strip artist. And I would have sold out in a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you would have, man. Bill's got to get paid. Bill's got to get paid. Yeah. I would not even think twice. If we say, hey, we want to make a, you know, a whatever with this on it. Sure, let's yeah. do it. Sign my name away. So let's move on to 1995. This was a sad moment for Calvin and Hobbes fans. Because this is when Watterson announces he's going to end... Calvin and Hobbes. And he sticks to his word. It ends at the end of the year, uh, December 31st, I believe. It actually ends on that day. And the the last strip is pretty famous itself because it's just Calvin and Hobbes. They're out in the snow, and they're, uh, and they're in like a little wagon trying to go down a hill. And the last words are, let's go exploring. Uh, Watterson, what does Watterson do now, though? Uh, that's also pretty. <laughs> that's pretty fun to talk about because it's it's hard to find out. <laughs> uh, he is famously, famously hard to get in touch with. He refuses almost any interviews to the point where he's done maybe two or three, and those are so rare. <laughs> uh, at one point, well, at one point there was a a guy. I actually read the book this guy wrote. I wish I could remember the name of it, but. Uh, it's all about him trying to find Bill Watterson and wanting to meet him and talk to him. And he even did a documentary on it that's that's really good, too. Uh, but at the end of the day, he, I don't want to give a spoiler alert out here, but uh, let's say uh, uh, Watterson lives uh, to his reputation. Let's just say that. He's like Luke Skywalker. For people who don't understand, he's like Luke Skywalker in Episode Seven. Uh, yeah, that's a prelude to something in the future, but, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, he just wanted to kind of remain out of sight. And like, I, I respect it honestly, cause I think it makes meeting him that much more special. Uh, if somebody yeah. gets to, uh, and I mean, it just increases his value. I mean, the dude is probably the most famous person that I never heard of before this episode, uh, which, you know, it's. Which I think he likes it. Yeah. That way. So that, so he's happy with that. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he would he used to like this is how much uh, he detests uh, people like making money off of his stuff. Uh, they uh, a lot of places I saw this. He would actually go into different bookstores and he would find uh, those Calvin and Hobbes strips in a book form and he would actually sign it. And people were, were catching on to this <laughs> and they were catching them and trying to sell them on eBay and that made him so mad he quit doing oh really (laughs) yeah uh so uh he's he's uh very tough to get in touch with 
and I, I'm with you. I kind of think that adds to his legacy in a way, and it makes it even more intriguing and interesting. And his mystique a bit, uh, right? I mean, that's yeah. Who, who's that one? The the artist uh, was it the Banksy or what they call it? Um, oh yeah, yeah, the, the one that nobody ever. Yeah. yeah, he would paint different things across the city or something. Yeah, so something like that. I don't know the full story on that, but um, and yeah, I think it. I mean, it adds to his mystique a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of the story of Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, it did not over... I think the other thing that really makes it stand out is, you know, uh, compare it to The Simpsons, you know, that's still going on to this day. Uh, he kind of knew... Bill Watterson kind of knew that he needed to quit while he was ahead. And while, you know, being a fan of it makes me sad because I didn't get more Calvin and Hobbes. But as an artist... I think he he was smart to do this. Yeah, go out on top, you know, highly highly regarded comic strip. Go out on top before it becomes something that, you know, it's you're you're struggling to find new ideas. Um and it's kind of wild to think, you know, uh what you know, he, what is it, every every strip was what? 3 to 5 panels maybe tops. Yeah, unless it was a Sunday unless strip. Unless it was a Sunday yeah. strip. Um but you know, you're like, oh, there's got to be plenty of ideas. But when you're doing these things like daily, uh, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. You get burned out sometimes. You know, which which he did do a few few times. And he had to step away, but yeah, he would take sabbaticals. Every yeah, once I think in a he while. took two big one, two before he yeah. finally decided to close shop. But um, but yeah, it's hard to be creative all the time. It really is. It's exhausting. So I think a ten year run for a comic strip is uh is really impressive. And, and I don't know how that compares to the likes of like peanuts or some of those. I know a lot of those are, are kind of like reshuffled. Uh, obviously nowadays. Um, but yeah, I don't believe there's any new peanuts that are, that are currently written because Schultz, you know, Charles Schultz died years yeah. ago. Uh, but like, for example of what you're saying, and I love Garfield's, so I'm not knocking Garfield. I absolutely adore and love Garfield. I want to cover Garfield at some point on this show. Uh, but He's been going on for decades now, and he still goes on today to the point where he's kind of become the, if you're a comic strip nerd, you kind of make fun of Garfield now, <laughs> you know, like, he, you know, uh, sort of the same with Simpsons, like I was bringing up the Simpsons. A lot of people like to say the Simpsons were good from such and such day to such and such a day and haven't been good in a long right, time. Right, right, right. That, that type of deal. Uh, so a lot of people say that with Garfield because he's still around today. Uh, but yeah, uh Watterson now, uh, technically he retired in his 30s, which is pretty incredible. Uh, he uh, kind of does some paintings every once in a while. Uh, I, I guarantee he paints all the time, and we just don't see most of them, would be, would be my guess. I'm sure, because, I mean, how, see, I don't even know how much money he would have made from this. Like, I was trying to look that up, and, and how much money did he make where he could retire comfortably at that age? And Yeah, that's what I was wondering. He had to have, though, because he... We don't know anything he does. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't make public appearances, like there, uh, unless he unless unless it's for charity or something. Yeah. yeah, and that's probably the big extent of it. But you know, just just nothing. Like, was he working at a grocery store? Like, I want to know. I want to yeah. know. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> and you know what? But we never. No, will. we won't. And you know what? I think that you know, going back to his mystique. I, I, I mean, do you think that could be a reason why you like Calvin Hobbes as much as you do? Uh, I think I think it's part of it. That kind of, to me, Calvin and Hobbes is a whole humongous thing. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think that's definitely part of it because, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know any of it. Right, right. I only loved Calvin and Hobbes. I didn't know anything about the creation of it or anything. But to go back to something else you were saying that I think is really important to note, uh, yes, making cartoons I think would be an amazing job. I would love to do it as well. But when you have to do it daily like this, I mean, this was a daily thing for him. Uh, I honestly at one point tried to do a daily thing on a like a website. I wanted to do like a daily web comic. Uh, very, uh, very much far side inspired. And I made it maybe a week before I was burned out. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Yeah, it's just so, it's, like, you'll have days, I think anybody knows this if you're a, one of the creative types. You'll have days where nothing's flowing in your head. Like, you can't get any ideas to flow. And everything you do think of just sounds, is just tor- is terrible and horrible. That's every day for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my Tuesday through Monday, <laughs> is that for me, yeah. You know, but So I can relate to that in a way. It's it's a lot tougher than people think. It's It, it really is. Uh, but, man, I think it's time that we get into Matt's stats. everybody uh matt stats now we haven't done the stats one it seems like forever but it was only two episodes ago but uh this one's really brief because it's again it was hard to find some uh you know sales figures and stuff like that for uh for calvin and hobbes but i did what i could um and here's we're going to start off with one right here exactly 3160 calvin and hobbes strips were published and they were all collected in the the complete calvin and hobbes uh book um let's see what's next more than 23 million calvin and hobbes books are in print and 14 book collections have sold a million copies within their first year of publication i think to me that maybe that's where he's making most of his money that now that i read that and and her yeah that's that's got to be it that's that's definitely got to be it um, it has been estimated that Watterson and Universal Press Syndicate lost out on $300 million to $400 million by not accepting merchandising deals. <laughs> yes. I told you, money does not matter to this No, man. it does not. I'm, like, crying at the, like, on the inside right now. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> sniff $300 million. Shit, I would rather just <laughs> sniff $1 million, and this man passed yeah. up on three to $400 million. Um if I saw if I saw a thousand dollars in one place, I would be blown away. <laughs> I know that's how happy I would be. But I mean, more credit to him, man. That really, that's that's an awesome trait of his. That's integrity for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, let's see. Reruns of the comic were still published in fifty countries uh, as of two thousand and ten, though none were being reprinted in North America. And let's see, a couple more. Due to the rarity of Calvin and Hobbes items, an original 1986 comics, comic strip by Watterson was sold for the record-breaking price of $203,150. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And this this one's a fun one. Let me pull up the article I got it from. It's uh, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty amazing. Um, okay, so back in 2014, a guy by the name of Matt J., uh, I think it's Michael, um, did research on how much damage Calvin did during the Calvin and Hobbes books. <laughs> All right. All right. So um, 
yeah, he he really went all out on this. But he inquired, he acquired the entire print run of the comic strip and, and concluded that Calvin lost his parents almost sixteen thousand dollars. <laughs> all right, and I'll I'll read. Um, you know, this is a quote from his research. Uh, in total, Calvin caused an estimated fifteen thousand nine hundred and fifty-five dollars and fifty cents worth of damage over the duration of the comic strip. Damage ranging from a broken glass jar, which is two dollars from Amazon.com, to a flooded house, four thousand seven hundred ninety-eight dollars and eighty-three cents from Home HomeWise.com, Home WYSE.com. Ta- uh, taking into account Waterson's sabbaticals and the November start of the comics, Calvin caused. $1,850.55 of damage per year. Um, <laughs> and for context, the USDA estimates that middle-income families spend an estimated $1,750 per year on child care and education. Uh, yeah, there, there was a... <laughs> this is a funny quote. If you believe your child does more than $1,850.55 in damage annually, then you may want to consider professional help Alternative forms of punishment are at very least take away their stuffed tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they really went into, into depth on this. I think he it's, they said he flooded the house three times over. Um, yeah, that, seems, that sounds right. Yeah, which, you know, it's it's hilarity. But um, I, I give this guy credit for putting in as much time and effort as he did into this research. Yeah. But um, that kind of reminds me of, you know, that very famous scene in Home Alone. Where you know he's uh, Marvin Harry are getting beat up by by Kevin McAllister with all his <laughs> little traps in his house, and I saw that somebody did a report on this, and, like all these things that would like the damage would actually do to your body. <laughs> like these guys would have been killed three or four times over. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, uh, unreal, <laughs> unreal. Um, <laughs> but uh, at its peak, at its peak, uh, it ran. I think on over 250 newspapers nas- uh, nationally and, and perhaps internationally. Um, I, I'd have to double confirm that, but I did listen to that in a YouTube video. Um, you know, that was within the first year as well, which is still impressive as to how it grew as quickly as it did. It, it, it legit, it was almost, I mean, you could almost call it an overnight success, even though Watterson technically wasn't as an individual, the comic strip was. Uh, right. But, um, but yeah, like that's I think that's pretty much it for for his big time his stats really. Yeah, I knew it would be tough to find like a like money numbers for him because I think he would keep that really close to the vest as yeah. well. Actually, like how, how much money? Oh, he's made. pardon me, twenty four hundred newspapers. Um, by the time it finished up on December thirty first, nineteen ninety five, twenty four hundred newspapers. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. All right. Well, now let's move to uh, did you know? I have some Calvin and Hobbes fun facts for everybody. I got these from multiple sources. Let's start. Number one, uh, Steven Spielberg, a name we all know, and we'll probably cover on the show at some point. And George Lucas, a name I'm sure will come up very soon, uh, wanted to have a meeting with Bill Watterson during the, the height of Calvin and Hobbes. But guess what? Watterson politely declined. <laughs> Could you imagine? The gall of this man. I don't even think it's the gall. I think it's just if 
if Steven Spielberg just wanted to say hey to me on the street or ask me to get him a cup of coffee, I would be the happiest boy in the world, <laughs> you know? So this is pretty amazing. Um, that uh, often mentioned complete collection of Calvin and Hobbes is actually missing one strip, and that is of Hobbes in a washing machine. Uh, Watterson has famously, famously not said why that's not included in the collection, because basically everything else is. Uh, I really do recommend that collection. I don't know how much it costs nowadays, but um, not only is, does it have this work of art in it, but uh, Bill Watterson actually did write some stuff for it himself that is exclusive to it, so I really recommend it. Uh, but however... We have mentioned how he was against merchandising. That does not mean he did not approve some merchandising, Matt. He actually did on a few things. Uh, in 2001, uh, Ohio State University uh, opened an exhibit of comic art, and he allowed Calvin and Hobbes to be on a t-shirt for that. Uh, and actually, if you go to Ohio State, a lot of the original art strips from Calvin and Hobbes are actually there. You can go see them in person. Uh, in 89 to 90, uh, he actually merchandised two calendars, only two. Um, and you can find, I'm sure, I wonder if you can find those on eBay. I bet you can. I wonder how much they're going for. Uh, in 2010, Calvin and Hobbes were allowed to be on a postage stamp. And at one point, Calvin and Hobbes were actually in a book that helped kids improve language skills. So it was for kids in elementary school. Uh, so the only thing to me, if you look at all those things, because that's the whole list. I'm finished with the list. <laughs> um, the only thing that even remotely seems like merchandising at all to me is the calendars. And he only did that twice. Yeah. It's – yeah, his view – like – yeah, he would have made a buttload of money. I mean, I said it in the stats segment, oh, gosh, you yeah. know, how much he probably would have made. Um, and it's it's shocking. It's it's a little shocking because, I mean, everything is merchandise nowadays. Any, you know, form of entertainment. Well, at, yeah. I, I very rarely, I don't think I've ever heard of this personally before, that a mainstream thing such as Calvin and Hobbes has not had merchandise. I mean, look at Garfield, for example. Garfield was merchandised on everything. Everything. My uh, aunt, my everything. aunt, and grandmother used to have magnets upon magnets upon magnets of Garfield, uh, with quotes and everything. That's how much they like, they loved it. But yeah, he he was hoard out. Um, yes, he was. He, he was. And <laughs> yeah, you know, and maybe that's like you said, Garfield's kind of like the you said he was. You're you're saying was he was kind of the butt of jokes for comic strips or. He like, why is he still going kind of attitude? Is that what I understood? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe that's because he was whored out as much as he was. Uh, <laughs> you know? Because, I mean, at one point, he was everywhere. And, but I will say, and this is should be safe for Garfield, I'm sure, but he has two specials, a Halloween special, and Halloween's coming up soon. Uh, and I watch that every year because it's on YouTube, and I have to watch it. <laughs> and I would have loved to have had a Calvin Hobbes Halloween special. I'm just saying, Watterson, because I'm sure he listens to this. <laughs> Oh, we'll make him listen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the infamous Calvin peeing on different things, card decal we've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, in South Carolina, when this thing was at the height of its popularity, in South Carolina, they declared it to be obscene. And if, if they found anybody with that on their car, those people were fined $200. 
for this. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, they did not care for it, man. <laughs> I still remember the first time I saw one of those, and I think it was Calvin peeing on like a Chevy emblem. Ford. Ford was the big one. Ford was the big one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, whichever one it was. And uh, man, I remember like being like, "Why would? Why is Calvin doing that? <laughs> why? Like, why does he care? He's six. And now old. he pees on everything. He little legit. Yeah. Now it's yeah. Now it's yeah. whatever. Uh, golden showers for all. <laughs> uh, but Matt, I think now it's time for us to get into the lasting effects of Calvin and Hobbes. Where do you think this stands in the Patreon of of uh, pop culture? Do you think Calvin and Hobbes is still important today? I think so. I think that you know the demand is really high, and if Watterson ever did decide to cave in, in merchandise, I think it would do great business. Um, obviously, the peeing stickers help out a lot, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> they help out quite a bit in his and you know in the being mainstream, but. Um, you know, just to, I think, yeah, I think it's a very important comic strip in the long run. It's still, like I said, it's still in high demand. People discuss it often, and, and like I said, doing this research uh, maybe realize how much he was, you know, that character's loved. Like his art piece is still like those strip that strip that I mentioned went for over two hundred grand, uh, you know, and that was fairly recently too. So that's how important this thing is. I think there's still a niche for it. Um, and if he ever decided to return to the comic book, uh, I think it would do, or the comic strip, it would, I think it would do very well. Or even if he just wanted to make a movie out of it. I mean, I think that would, I think that would do well if the movie was done Abs- well. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you though. This is, I'm trying not to be personal with it and be, uh, take myself out of this. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I do think that, uh, especially in the history of art and comics, the, uh, Calvin and Hobbes, I'm talking even Marvel and DC. I think Calvin and Hobbes is vital. And it's definitely, and I do believe that a lot, and a lot of artists have said this, that Calvin and Hobbes was a giant influence on them, uh, just in how they draw or just in how they write and all those different things. And how, and I would even dare say, I've never heard this, but I would dare say a lot of the Pixar stuff and a lot of the really good animated stuff we get now can probably think Calvin and Hobbes because Calvin and Hobbes proved that you could be for kids, but you didn't have to talk down to kids, to, you know, and I think that's really important. Yeah, there's a lot of good lessons to, to get from from these stories, too, that, you know, I think should be, uh, you know, it, it should be looked at, you know, just people see the seeing the world from different views and, and this and that um, kind of. Uh, almost like in a Mr. Rogers sense, I, I think it's very good and wholesome, uh, and and would you know there's there, like I said, there's a lot of good lessons to learn from reading these these books. And it, it leaves a big impact on uh, on people such as yourself, on artists, and you know readers. Re, excuse me, readers alone. Yeah, that, that that I agree. So I think we both agree that this is important to pop culture, uh, Matt. Next episode, do we want to give away any clues of what the episode's going to be about? Um, Is it going to take place in an area far, far away? I think so. You know what? Let me cue up the music. Here will be our next episode. 
That's right, everybody. Next episode is going to be Star Wars, a product of George Lucas and so many others, important characters and whatnot. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, man, I, we might be looking at a two-hour episode. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yes. the, we might have to break that one down into two parts almost. <laughs> two trilogies. Two trilogies. Maybe yeah. a third. We'll see how it goes. Because <laughs> basically you can do a podcast per like three or four podcasts per movie. Exactly. Almost. So I don't know how we're going to format yeah. this one, but I am excited. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to do the research on this. I'm going to watch so many documentaries. I'm going to wait. I'm gonna have to rewatch all the movies again that I ha- I've already watched 100 yeah. plus times. Except up. Yep. I got, them, I got them all on Blu-ray, not to brag. Uh, I got the big Blu-ray collection that has all the documentaries and makings of all those as well. I, I'm going to go back and have some fun deep dives. That's for Absolutely, sure. everybody. Man, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. It's going to be good times. Me either. Good times. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for joining us on Retro Pop. Uh, we've already gotten some pretty great feedback and some awesome reviews. So please go to iTunes. Uh, give us a review. Uh, give us five stars. We'd very much appreciate it. And heck, if you want to like give me five stars and then cuss me out and say terrible things about me, I don't care as long as you give me five stars. So go for it. <laughs> Call me the piece of dirt if you want. I don't care. Just give me five stars. Uh, Matt and I, I think, are very proud of this of this show. So we really appreciate all the feedback we get and all the listens we've been getting. You guys and gals are amazing. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, thank you. Uh, so, so for Matt Johnson, I'm Johnny Townsend. Thanks for joining us on Retro Pop. Stay tuned to next time when we cover Star Wars. Star Wars.